Good morning. Let's turn to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings, and we are in chapter 1 today. Well, I want to either thank or congratulate the person who disabled their alarm last week because it didn't go off at 1118 during the preaching, and I don't have to know who it was, but I do appreciate you tending to that matter. After being told that he would not come down from his sickbed, but would instead die there, King Ahaziah responded to Elijah's prophecy the same way that Ahab responded to prophecies where God spoke against him. Rather than repenting, Ahaziah sent a group of 51 soldiers to capture Elijah. So that group of 51 went, and what did God do? He consumed them by fire. They said, you come down here, Ahaziah, or you come down here, Elijah. And Elijah didn't come down to them. So the second group, who was even more demanding for that captain, said, come down quickly. He told Elijah, come down quickly. And if you think about these two captains, the assignment on which they were sent was an assignment worthy of death in the first place because they were sent to set themselves against God's prophet. So the first step they took out of the palace or out of Samaria to wherever wherever this hill was on which Elijah was sitting, that warranted death. They came against God. And now having surely heard of these disastrous results, the first two groups of men of soldiers being consumed by fire, this third band of soldiers would set out on the same mission but with a different result. So let's look at it. We are in 2 Kings, chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading verse 13. And he, that's Ahaziah, sent again a captain of the third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him. And said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. This third group of fifty soldiers and their captain seemed to be headed for the same fiery ending as the previous groups. And I'm sure that as they approached the hill where Elijah sat, they saw the scorched earth. Perhaps they saw the evidence of the consuming fire that had claimed the lives and carcasses of their fellow soldiers. There had to be some evidence of the total destruction there. 
But this group had a leader who was different. He had a different attitude. He had a different mindset. And rather than coming and demanding obedience from Elijah, this captain came with humility. He came with a healthy dose of fear. I want you to notice some of the differences in this captain and the two captains who were before him. Notice in our text, it says, and the third captain of 50 went up. You see that? He went up. Where went up is to ascend or to climb. And that's what he did. Elijah was on a hill. The captain and his soldiers were not. They were down below. This captain went up, whereas the other two captains told Elijah, you come down. You see the difference already? There's a spirit of humility there. There's a recognition that he's talking to God's prophet. And so he went up to Elijah And I want to read you a passage out of Exodus chapter 19 to kind of get your mind thinking about this going up and coming down and what all that might mean. Exodus 19 verse 20 says, And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. Now, where did the Lord not come down? He didn't come all the way down to the foot of the mountain. In fact, he had a boundary set around there. So that nobody, and not their animals either, could come near that mountain or else they would be killed. So he came down to the mountain. On the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. Now what if Moses would have said, you come down here. Why, he wouldn't have got those words out of his mouth, would he? God would have killed him and replaced him with another prophet been easy but Moses went up so for God to meet with man he must come down but man must go up now how do how do we do this spiritually we know this that a person who is a sinner which is all of us who's lost in their sin can't just go up to God And there are a lot of people who think that. They'll go to a funeral and they'll say, well, at least he's with God now. And I'm afraid many times that's not the case. Because they thought they could just go up to God. And yet they did not put their trust in the one whom he sent down for them. God came down as Jesus Christ. And for us to go up to God, we have to go up to Jesus as it were. Now, we don't physically go up to Jesus. We don't climb some little hill on which he is. But by faith, we do this same thing. In the person of Jesus Christ, God came down to live among us. Now, had he just lived among us and died a natural death, we would not be able to go up to God. Because that is our assurance, is that we who have believed in Jesus as our Savior will one day go up to be with him. When our bodies are resurrected unto eternal life, they cannot go up except they be in Christ. 
Now, in Elijah, God, in his case, God came down to Elijah with his word. You have God. He sent his word to Elijah. Elijah was on a mountain. In fact, it says back in verse 3, if you'll look in the same passage, or same chapter, 2 Kings chapter 1, look in verse 3. It said, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, the angel of the Lord, which very well may be Jesus Christ here. So in effect, God came down to the hill upon which Elijah sat. And just as Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, so this captain must go up the hill. And he did go up the hill to meet with God's prophet. And what was the fatal flaw of those other two captains? Well, there were many. But they did not go up when God had already come down. God had already sent his word down to Elijah. And these men should have gone up to receive that word. But they did not. And there were a lot of other things they did wrong. What if Moses would have said, Lord, I'm already at the bottom of the mountain. Can we not just meet there? God said, no, we're meeting at the top of the mountain. And although those people did not physically go up that mountain, Mount Sinai, like this captain physically went up the hill to Elijah, They went up in a spiritual sense because they went to the one to whom God had given his law. Where did Moses go? He went up the mountain. What did he get while he was there? He got the law of God, and he brought it down to the people. The people had to go up to Moses, as it were, to receive the law from Moses. They said, don't let God speak with us, lest he speak with us and we die. So God ordained to speak through Moses to the people, and he is ordained to offer salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, to the people. Now, a second thing we notice, a difference in this captain and the two before him, is that this captain didn't tell Elijah to come down quickly or to come down at all. In fact, he didn't tell him to do anything. Whereas the other two captains had said, you come down here. Whether this captain was a believer or not, he at least had enough sense to know that the two captains before him who had demanded Elijah come down, that those two captains and their soldiers are now little bits of carbon floating around somewhere or resting on the ground. They had been consumed by God's fire. And the third thing we notice is that whereas the other two captains stood on their feet, this one went up and fell on his knees. An act of submission, even respect for Elijah because of God's word. It's a humble spirit that seeks mercy, not a haughty spirit. A haughty spirit, the Bible says... Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. But the humble spirit is the one who seeks mercy, like this captain did. And then we notice a fourth thing, and I want you to see Jesus Christ in here too, because the example is right here before us. 
This captain was an intercessor for the people as well as for himself. He was an intercessor for the people. Look back in verse 13 at the end and listen to what this man on his knees before Elijah said at the end of verse 13, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. He was an intercessor. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 10 through 11, we're going to see how Moses interceded on behalf of the people as well. Exodus 32, verses 10 through 11, where God said, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? In both cases, in the case of Moses' day and then the scene we're reading here in 2 Kings chapter 1, God's fire was ready to fall on the people below. And in both cases... God showed respect to the intercession made on behalf of the people as we are about to see in just a few verses. So let's look at verse 14 as this captain continues praying or or beseeching Elijah for mercy. He said, Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. So this captain acknowledged that there was fire that came down from heaven to consume the other two groups of soldiers. He certainly saw evidence of it and he probably heard tell of it before. But unlike the second captain who had also heard tell and he certainly saw the evidence, uh, the, the scorched earth and whatever else there may have been, he saw that. And rather than trembling in fear, he said, you get down here right now. So the fifth and the final thing, the differences that we see between this third captain and the first two. Whereas the other two captains demanded obedience from Elijah, this captain sought mercy from Elijah. And the word besought in our text in verse 13 is translated as the word mercy in 16 places in the Old Testament in the King James translation. So this captain asked that their lives be seen as precious in his sight, something to which Elijah and God were under no obligation to do. They could have said, you already knew you went on a fool's errand, you're dying right here before you open your mouth. God could have killed them the first step They took in obedience to Ahab, in disobedience to God. But he let them come all the way to this hill. Now, were the lives of these soldiers precious in Ahaziah's sight? No way. If the lives of these soldiers and these captains were precious in Ahaziah's sight, why would he have sent them to their certain destruction? He knew about God's prophet. He knew about God. 
And he knew that when God's prophet said this is going to happen, that it was going to happen. And he didn't like it. But he at least had to know it's true. When God says you'll, you'll suffer this consequence if you do this behavior, God's not a liar. And yet his heart was so hard. Were the lives of these men precious in the sight of the two captains before them? No. If, if they were, then the first captain would have said, Now, king, you may cut my head off for me saying this. I'll go tell Elijah, but please don't sacrifice these 50 soldiers of mine because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to die, and everyone with me is going to die. But those captains, fearing the king more than the Lord, still went on these errands. And they were certainly fool's errands. All three captains, now notice this, here's a similarity. All three captains called Elijah man of God. Don't miss that. They all did. But two of them were destroyed along with their soldiers. What was different about the third captain who called Elijah man of God? The others called him man of God in mockery. Just as Jesus was mockingly known as king of the Jews which was written above him on the cross. But this third captain called Elijah the man of God out of reverence, out of humility. Can you imagine in the flesh what it would look like if a captain over 50 soldiers were to kneel in front of someone who was a prophet, who the king hated? How the men might have gone. What's the captain doing kneeling? He's the captain. He shouldn't kneel before anyone. That prophet ought to kneel before him. But this captain had humility. And although he was no doubt a skilled fighting machine, he knew that without mercy, his life and the lives of his men were like a thread dangling over a fire in the hands of Elijah and his God. Now verse 15 And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. He said, Go down with him, not to him. Go down with him, not to him. Which tells us, first of all, the captain had indeed gone up to Elijah. He physically went up. And it This interesting command in verse 15 says, be not afraid of him. Now you might ask, why would Elijah, after all we've seen him do, all the mighty works God has wrought through his hand, why would Elijah be afraid of these men when he had just called down fire from heaven to kill 102 of them before? Why would these 51 Why would God even say this to him through the angel of the Lord? Well, let's don't forget, Elijah was just a man, just like we are. Let's reflect back on a passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's verses 9 through 10, and this is describing Elijah. 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah had fear. He was afraid in that day. This is an emotion that we have in the flesh. We're in, we're in fear if uh, something threatens our lives or the lives of someone we love or, or we're involved in some sort of near-miss situation and our hearts are racing and the adrenaline's pumping. We have that. That's a, an emotion. It saves our lives, keeps us safe sometimes. But it can also be a weakness. And God, knowing Elijah's weakness, that he was prone to fear, said, don't be afraid. You go down with him. And it says, well, without God's protection, Elijah would have been no match for those 51 trained fighting men, would he, with their weapons. But you know what? With God's, whole, God's protection, the whole world against him could not have thwarted God's will for him. And it says in verse 15, he arose and went down with him unto the king. What a jewel this passage is for us. Elijah had been told by two captains to come down to the soldiers and go to the king, but he refused. Why is he obeying the order now? And now what does he do? He goes down with the captain to the soldiers to meet the king. He waited to go to the captain and then to the king on God's timetable rather than on man's. Had he obeyed the first captain, he probably would have been killed. God probably would have said, nope, I didn't tell you to do that. You're out of here. We don't know. And I'm glad we don't know. I'm glad he obeyed. But we ought to learn this vital principle as it shows up from time to time in Scripture And it'll keep us from trying to hurry God up, won't it? Or trying to run ahead of God, which we're prone to do sometimes. If we think something's not happening fast enough, we say, well, I've waited on the Lord and he's not doing anything. Well, that's an erroneous presumption in the first place that he's not doing anything. It's that you can't see it. And so we run ahead of him and the results are often catastrophic. But as Moses did, so will we learn to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When Moses' anger waxed hot against the children of Israel because they were worshiping that golden calf, he broke the table of the commandments. And what did he have to do? Go back up the mountain and get them again. <laughs> the wrath of God worketh, the, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Never has and never will. So Elijah is on God's timetable now. Look at verse 16. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Now at this point Elijah is talking to King Ahaziah. Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore... Thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. Now, Elijah is saying in person the same thing he told 
Ahaziah's messengers back in verses 3 through 4. Elijah was not a keyboard warrior, was he? He was not. He was not the guy who hollers threats behind the protection of a wall or a large group of his friends. Elijah was the real deal. Best way I know to put it. And if you don't know what a keyboard warrior is, perhaps there's some watching who aren't familiar with that term. A keyboard warrior is someone who appears to be quite brave to make hateful or creepy comments on Facebook or on a text message or an email. But those same people aren't so brave when they come face to face with the person to whom they sent the messages. But Elijah spoke what God told him to, whether he was speaking to a messenger in front of the king or not. And so should we. I remember listening to Pastor John Hagee pander to the nation of Israel by claiming that God had another plan for saving Israel. Now, when he was preaching to his church, he'd say, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. But to pander to Israel, he said, well, there's, there's a different way God's going to save you. Rather than believing in the Messiah who had already come, there was another plan God had. And, well, that was the end of me listening to him, and that was many years ago. I watched an independent, fundamental Baptist church pastor let a woman preach to his congregation from his pulpit because she was a guest speaker. That's what he called her. And... He knew that he was running afoul of the Bible. So what he told his people, he said, well, she's not really preaching. She's just teaching. She's just speaking up here. She did the same thing. He did that so he could justify his error. I saw a large, formerly old-fashioned Baptist church in my grandparents' hometown allow a practicing homosexual to be their song leader. And he had a great voice. And boy, he could lead the music. But not Elijah. Elijah would have told his own nation of Israel, No, there's not another way for you to be saved. But to believe in the coming Messiah. That's what Stephen did and it cost him his life. He said, No. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing his message there in the book of Acts. No. Here's how you're saved, and let's go back in history, and I'll tell you how we got to this point. And he paid for it with his life. And Elijah would have told that lady in that pastor's pulpit, No, you will neither preach nor usurp authority over a man in the Lord's church. He'd have told the homosexual song leader, Not only are you not going to lead singing, you're not going to lead anything else in this church because your sin is an abomination for which God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. And he told Ahaziah here, you're going to die. He did not change God's word to fit the audience, to be popular, or even to preserve his own life. And by God's grace, may we do that same thing. And you know, there are so many people who will take that as hateful. They'll say, well, that's hateful. It's not hateful. It's loving. 
It's the opposite of hate. It is love to tell somebody the truth. Verse 17, so he died. Just like God said he would die, he died. He was not healed. He did not come down from his sickbed. Do you know what Ahaziah needed more than anything else? More than length of days as Hezekiah asked for? More than healing from his illness? He needed salvation. He needed to be saved. I want you to think of how many times you're asked to pray for someone who is ill. Or perhaps they're injured. Or perhaps they've lost their job. Facebook is inundated with these requests. So your heart is moved to pray for these dear people to be healed of their cancer or to recover from their broken legs or to get a job. Now, with that in mind, how many times have you seen on Facebook, Twitter, or any other means where someone prays for the salvation of one of those people? Don't see that very often, do you? In fact, it almost never happens, at least in my viewing experience. In Ahaziah's day, there were probably people praying for him to recover, even to live longer. Long live the king. But he needed people to pray for his spiritual needs first. And perhaps there were some. And please understand what I'm saying here. We ought to pray for people in their needs. But we ought to place a priority on their spiritual needs. They have physical needs and they have spiritual needs. And if you're going to leave one of them off, leave off the physical needs. Don't leave off the spiritual needs. Mark chapter 9, verse 47. Jesus teaches us this truth. Mark 9, 47 He said, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. To Jesus, and therefore it should be to us, the needs of the physical body come in a distant second to the spiritual ones. And yet this world places a premium on the physical needs over the spiritual ones. And I mean in the church and out. How many people have gone to these so-called churches or fellowships where they're hoping that they'll get rich if they just give the pastor the so-called seed money? And salvation didn't preach to them except to draw them into dropping all their money in the offering or putting it on a, a huge pile in the front, having some charlatan pray over it. It says, so he died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. And you know, Elijah would not say, I told you so. But he would have said, God told you so. When we preach the gospel and the truths that are associated with it, we don't say to the unbeliever, well, fella, If you go to hell when you die, you can't say old brother Andy didn't warn you. That's a little bit egotistical. Although I do warn them 
I'm told to warn them. But it's not my warning. It's God's warning. I'm just passing it along. If somebody said, well, so what if I do die and go to hell? What are you going to do about it? Well, nothing. I can't do anything about it. But if you go to hell, what God's going to do about it is he's going to separate you from him because you've separated yourself from him and you're going to burn in the lake of fire, which he has prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what God's going to do about it. And as a Christian witness, I don't want you to go there and your God doesn't want you to go there. But if you want to go there, that's where you're going to go. It's not my warning, it's God's warning. And here it wasn't that Elijah said, I told you so. It was that God said, I told you so. It said, so he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. It's the word of the Lord, which I have spoken. It's the word of the Lord, which Brother Fulton has spoken. But it's the word of the Lord. Now let's continue reading in verse 17 in the middle of the verse. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no son. Now that paragraph there can be, or that sentence can be a little bit confusing. There's a lot in there, so let's straighten it out if we can so we don't go on with a bad understanding. First of all, we have two King Jehorams who are kings in approximately the same time period. So yes, you have a Jehoram and a Jehoram. One is king over Israel, and he is Ahab's son because Ahaziah had no son. You see that at the end of verse 17 where it says because he had no son. It's not Jehoshaphat that didn't have a son because it says Jehoram is the son of Jehoshaphat. So it was Ahaziah. And he's over Israel. The other Jehoram who reigns over Judah is Jehoshaphat's son, but in studying your Bible from here on out, you'll see that he doesn't immediately assume the throne because his dad's still alive, but he will be king over Judah. You'll also see the name Jehoram spelled as Joram, J-O-A, excuse me, J-O-R-A-M, just an alternate spelling, and in either case, it's the same word. It means God is exalted. Now, I couldn't help but notice this. This kingdom is divided, isn't it? You have Judah, you have Israel. But now you have two kingdoms that were formerly united that now have kings by the same name, one name. And this was not a coincidence because there are no coincidences with God. God's perfect will for Israel is that they be one nation ruled by one king under one God. And at this time, they are two nations with two kings who have the same name and worshiping two gods, Baal and Jehovah. What a mess. Verse 18. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And to read those acts is to read about a carnal man whose mind was enmity against God, whose mind was not subject to the law of God. That's what you would read if you read the rest of the acts of Ahaziah. 
Now let's move to chapter 2. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. If you remember, Elisha was the young prophet whom we met in 1 Kings chapter 19. He was plowing with a yoke of oxen. Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. And Elisha sacrificed his own oxen, gave them to the people to eat, and he became Elijah's minister. And we haven't read further about him until now. So verse 2, And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. This is the second time we read about Elisha insisting on following Elijah, even though Elijah had spoken against it. If the disciples really knew and understood what Jesus told them about the Christian walk, would they still have gone? You know, he gave them the option to go away from him when the heat was on too. In John chapter 6, verses 64 through 70, John 6, verses 64 through 70, he said, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? These are some of my favorite words in the Bible. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? They had all kinds of opportunities to leave. Jesus said, Hey, look, I'm, I'm telling you, even though there's twelve of you now, there's still one of you who's a devil. And the implication is you still want to follow me? To choose to follow Elijah, Elisha had to accept whatever consequences, good or bad, came with that journey. Now looking at that text in John chapter 6, one first thing I notice is that Jesus perceived that there were some following him who were even called his disciples, but who were not believers. He said that in the text, that he knew who did not believe him and he knew who would betray him. When someone tells you, I'm a Christ follower, well, that sounds pretty good. But in Jesus' day, just like today, there were many who followed him around, and in his day, they did it physically. And he said it was because the miracles, the loaves, the fishes. The second thing is that Jesus made the point that although many were following him, they could not come to him unless it were given to them of his father. That is, food and miracles don't bring people to Jesus, not by faith. But God the Father, by his Holy Spirit, does when he draws us. 
Lots of people followed Jesus. But the ones who were drawn to him were drawn by God's spirit and they put their trust in him. The rest of them said, well, I'm not interested in that. Thank you. I'll go do something else. I'll go find somebody else who has more loaves and fishes. That's as far as they wanted to go. And a third thing we notice is that even after Jesus thinned out the crowd to only 12, he said, will you also go away? Speaking to those 12, Peter's answer was wonderful, and we read it. What Peter did not say is, Lord, uh, surely you're going to give us more bread and more do more miracles, and, and so we'll follow you there. He said Jesus was worth following because he spoke words of life. And the phrase, to whom shall we go, was Peter's assertion that nobody but Jesus had those words of life. He said, to whom shall we go? Who else is going to tell us what you're telling us? Elisha had no doubt that Elijah was God's prophet. He could have stayed with his farming business, gone back to his family, or in our text, stayed behind while Elijah went to Bethel. But Elisha knew that Elijah had the words of life. He had God's words. And that was worth more than any earthly pursuit. Where do I want to go on Sunday morning, Wednesday night? I want to go where I hear the words of life. And I'm thankful God brought me to a place like that. We'll pick up with verse 3 next week, Lord willing. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, how wonderful it is to study your word and to have our eyes open to the truth therein. And Lord, we are just in awe and amazement at the grace and mercy you show your people that you would deign to give us your word, that we may study it from day to day and week to week and be guided by it, have our faith and our practice developed by the precious truth in here. And so, Father, I pray to that end you would edify your people today. You would draw the lost unto your Son for salvation. And, Lord, that you would rebuke the devourer as he would try to interfere to distract us from the business at hand today. We're thankful for our members, our visitors, and now I pray that you guide our pastor as he speaks in the next hour, that your word may go forth and be received in faith by the people and acted upon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.